Hi, Steve here. Welcome to another episode of the Natural Curiosity Project. If you're a regular listener, you know that what I try to do in this podcast is, I don't know, kind of talk about cool topics that fall into the category of general knowledge that I think everybody ought to just know. Not necessarily topics that are critical for getting through life, like, I don't know, how to start a fire with two sticks, although that might be an interesting topic, but topics that are just interesting and that serve as fodder for really cool conversations or that maybe help you win free beers in bars, whatever. So in this episode, I thought I might talk about sex. Oh, now I have your attention? Good, because just to be clear, we're talking about plant sex. Back in my diving days, my fellow instructors and I used to take groups of divers down to Monterey for their checkout dive. This is the first dive they do in the ocean with full scuba gear, during which they have to demonstrate all the skills they've learned in class before we certify them as divers. Now, typically what I would do is send the assistant instructors down to the bottom with the students, and then they'd run them through all the drills and skill demonstrations to make sure they know their stuff. I'd stay on the surface, sitting on an inflatable surf mat, nibbling on kelp, ready to deal with any students that came bobbing to the surface who needed assistance. One day, while I was sitting there watching a pod of sea lions circle the mat, something they did all the time, I spotted something bobbing around on the surface a few yards away. I couldn't tell what it was, so I paddled over and I grabbed it. It turned out to be a bottle, sealed with wax, and yes, it had a note inside of it. I pulled it out, and it was a message from a college student at Cal Poly who had dropped it into the water nine months before as an experiment just to see how far the bottle might go. The note included a telephone number. This was before email was common. I mean, we barely had electricity back then. So I called him. He was very grateful, and he told me that he had dropped it into the water in Morro Bay near San Luis Obispo, which means that it had traveled almost 150 miles before it got to Monterey. I agreed to seal it back up and drop it in the water again where I found it so that it would continue its journey, which I did. I never heard back from it, but I assumed that it continued its way northward. Okay, now let me shift gears for a minute. Back in the 90s, I was teaching a program in Dallas, and I met an old cowboy who worked part-time in one of the hotels. It was the Renaissance, I think. He worked as a greeter. His name was Bud. In fact, I feature Bud in one of my books. We chatted every day, sometimes for hours when it was quiet at the hotel, and one day he confided to me that he had a very strange hobby. Now, I'm not one to ignore that kind of a comment, so I asked him what the hobby was. He smiled, and looking around to make sure that no one else was listening, he told me in a quiet voice that he drives out into the desert, and he ties notes to tumbleweeds. He then releases the tumbleweeds to let them continue rolling across the plains. The notes have the location, date, and time that he released them, along with a little message asking whoever finds the note to call him and tell him where and when they found the tumbleweed in the note. He told me that he had released more than 600 of them, and he'd heard back from about 150 people. He also said that he figured that most of them ended up stuck to fence lines or run over and crushed by road traffic. One of them, he told me, though, he released just south of Waco, and it was found near Lampasas. That's about 90 miles away. He also said that that particular tumbleweed was huge. It was almost five feet across. Those things really get around. Now, Everybody thinks of tumbleweeds as having sort of an iconic presence in old westerns. Unless there's one or two of them blowing through the streets of that old western town, it just doesn't look realistic. Now, I have to say that I worked on a movie set once where we actually had, we employed, 
a tumbleweed wrangler who used a leaf blower to move them down the street since the wind wasn't cooperating. Anyway, tumbleweeds are officially known as Russian thistle, and they originated in Ukraine. Most likely, at least this is what botanists believe, the seeds got mixed into a shipment of flax that came over from Europe back in the 1800s, took root, and never left. And now they're pretty much everywhere, especially in the Southwest. And they can be a real problem. Back in 2018, a windstorm came up that was howling at about 60 miles an hour. For some bizarre reason, the wind funneled hundreds of thousands of tumbleweeds into the California town of Victorville. There were so many that they piled up in huge mounds and in some cases actually buried houses. Go look it up. The pictures are absolutely amazing. But here's what else is amazing. A typical tumbleweed has about 250,000 seeds nestled down inside of its leaves. In the summer, the plant, which starts out as a kind of a big green bushy ball, dries out and a layer of specialized cells right at the base of the plant, which are called the abscission layer, snaps off and the wind blows the plant across the prairie, scattering seeds everywhere it goes. They're pretty hardy, so wherever the seeds fall, they typically, eventually, sprout, which is why they're considered such a nuisance. Not only do they infest crop fields, they also collect along fences, sometimes knocking them down by their sheer weight and the fact that they collect and block the wind. They also have a nasty tendency to blow across roads at the most inopportune times. I've had it happen. There's something pretty unnerving about a six-foot diameter ball suddenly rolling in front of your car from out of nowhere on the highway. They also carry insect pests that can hitch a ride and then be widely dispersed across an agricultural area. Not a good thing. Well, it turns out that plants are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. In fact, they've developed a handful of techniques for spreading themselves far and wide. One is by harnessing the wind, which is what tumbleweeds do, as well as maple trees, dandelions, and lots of others. They swim. The reason coconut trees are on almost every island in the South Pacific is because coconuts fell into the ocean and then floated thousands of miles until they landed somewhere. Plants sometimes explode. I mean, some plants have seed pods that explode with such seed-scattering force that the seeds fly over 300 feet. We're talking about the length of a football field here, folks, and they fly at about 160 miles an hour. Next, we have the seeds that have to be eaten to be scattered. In fact, some of them actually must be eaten to germinate because the hard shell that protects the embryo inside has to be abraded away by the grinding action of a bird's gizzard before they'll sprout. And then we have those seeds that count on a rodent of some kind to collect them and then bury them in the ground, where at least some of them sprout and seed becomes tree. And then we have the Klingon approach. And no, I'm not making a Star Trek joke. Seed pods from the burdock plant, what we typically call a cockleburr, are covered with natural Velcro. In fact, it's what gave the inventor the idea in the first place. When an animal brushes against them, they get tangled in the fur and they hitch a ride to wherever the animal's going. Now, I know this is a pretty geeky topic, but uh, hey, consider the source, okay? I just think it's kind of amazing how different species adapt to whatever they're given to work with. I'll tell you what, I bet you're going to look at tumbleweeds a little differently from now on. And by the way, one more thing before I go. Sabina and I watched a pretty good movie a few years ago called Conagher. It's an adaptation of a Louis L'Amour novel, and it stars Sam Elliott alongside his wife, Catherine Ross. 
It's a love story set in the Old West, and it has a really great theme. Sam Elliott is this grizzled, lonely old cowboy who keeps finding poems tied to tumbleweeds on the prairie. He doesn't know who's writing them, but he wants to. I'll bet you can figure out what happens. Hey, thanks again for listening to this podcast, even if I do occasionally swamp you with geekiness. I'll see you in the next episode. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.